0: Welcome to the Pat Williams
1: Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. This is your hour when Orlando Magic Senior Vice President Pat Williams sits down and speaks with authors who have written books on topics of interest and insight for listeners like you. And now, here's your host, Pat Williams.
2: Folks, welcome again to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour right here on AM 990. And FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. We're so pleased you're with us. Got a good, good hour ahead. Uh, Pete Paquette, uh, the engineer, handyman, does it all, gets us on the air. Andrew Herd Liska produces the show. Ben Conley, he's in Pasadena, California, has an interesting new book out Reading the Bible, Missing the Gospel recovering from shockingly common ways we get the Bible wrong in our everyday lives. Ben, it's nice to catch up with you, and uh, welcome to Central Florida.
3: Thank you, John. Thank you, everybody. I'm good to be with you today. Thank you, Pat.
2: Ben, why was it important to, to write this book?
3: Yeah, that's a great question. I think that one of the big questions that culture is asking and the church is asking and maybe even folks outside the church are asking, by God's grace, is what is the center core of Christianity? What's the, what's the true message? Uh, and then, of course, the, the, the most commonplace, hopefully, that folks are looking is the Bible. Um, and yet Jesus tells even some religious leaders in John chapter 5, he says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, but it's the scriptures that bear witness about me. But you, re- you refuse to come to me so that you may have eternal life. And, and there's a sense in which if we're just reading the, the words on the page of the Bible, it can be, as, as one person said, it It can be like looking at a windshield, but we actually miss the view. And so the heart of this, the importance of this book is to go, hey, can we, can we look through the windshield and see Jesus, the true message, the true core of the Christian faith and belief?
2: Uh, part one of your book, a spiritual eye exam, and under that first topic, symptoms: reading the Bible wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are you writing there, Ben?
3: Yeah, so it's a lot of that. The, if, if I had to summarize, just knowing you know the amount of time that, that we have for the segment, uh, if I had to summarize, it would be that many of us have been taught to read the Bible in a way that makes it all about me. Um, I go to the Bible looking for my knowledge. I go to the Bible looking for ways to make myself feel good or to discover rules to obey that I think I can do by my power. And, and it just puts the message all on me. It puts the power all on me. It puts the, the focus all on me. Um, and frankly, that's the opposite of the Christian message.
2: Let's move to the second topic. It's called diagnosis. Uh, diagnosis mm-hmm. Missing the gospel. Oh boy, how do we do that? <laughs> yeah, the diagnosis. Uh, what is it?
3: Yeah, diagnosis. You're right. It's kind of following a, a the, the book follows a little bit of a silly. I don't know if it's silly an op- ophthalmology theme. So you go into the eye doctor and they say is it this lens or that lens? Is it this lens or that lens? And the yes. the theme is to say we need. We need new lenses. That's the diagnosis, is that we've, we've got blurry vision. You know, I had a son who had to have eye surgery before he was one year old. Mm. And frankly, as a, as a dad, that was terrifying. Um, but the doctor said, if we don't correct this, then his, his brain is not going to pick up impulses from his eye. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, essentially he'll go blind. Um, and it's with some of that imagery that's like, man, that's that's what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees. You look at the Bible wrong. Um, he says elsewhere, you know, you heal the man halfway through the healing. He says, you know, I, I look around and I see there's there's people moving around, but they're fuzzy. They're blurry. They're like trees. Um, and again, so that's kind of the diagnosis is if we make it all about me, then then we're reading the Bible wrong. Or we're reading the Bible through the wrong lens.
2: Uh, let's move to the next topic under uh, part one. Remedy. the Yeah, right, so the
3: any, right. any good doctor, if they just leave you with a diagnosis, here's what's wrong. They're a bad doctor, right?
2: <laughs> the, um, the right lens for our everyday lives. What's that mean?
3: Yeah, yeah. And so it's the corrective lenses. It's the, it's the putting the contacts in. It's the, it's the putting on the glasses. And my hope is that it wouldn't be anything that would be, frankly, like brand new discovery, but rather calling us back to ancient ways of reading the Bible, the, the ways that God originally intended, um, which I would say, just for brevity's sake, is is kind of three questions to ask. And one is, what does the Bible tell me about God? Because um, if the wrong lens is that we read it as if it's all about us, then the right lens, the the remedy, the corrective, is to see the Bible primarily as God's Story about who he is and about what he does and about what his, his work in the world and him sending his son and his spirit and and so the remedy is seeing the Bible to be about God and then if we have that first right lens a second question to ask is okay then and only then what does the Bible have to say about man about women about humans and, and what we see a lot is there there are not great examples to follow. <laughs> And if we're honest, we can resonate with that and be like, man, if I were in that scenario, I, I don't know that I would do any better than them. But even the positive human examples to follow, they're still finite. They're still broken. They're still sinful. And so that leads to the third question, the third lens. If the Bible is all about God and we realize the inadequacy of who we are, that we need God to be the main character, then the third question is how does this verse, how does this story, how does this passage, how does the whole book? How does the whole Bible point us toward uh, Jesus, who is not finite, who is perfect, who is sinless, and who's the only one who's truly the hero and the redeemer, the fulfillment of every story, every verse, and every command.
2: Author Ben Conley is with us. His book, Reading the Bible, Missing the Gospel. Uh, Ben, let's move to uh, part two. Mm-hmm. It's called Learning to See Clearly, and your first chapter, A Gospel-Centered Gospel. Expand yeah. expand on that.
3: Sure, and expand is the right word. Um, um, a lot of us have a view of the gospel that says, um, if I can be a little bit tongue-in-cheek with you, Pat, it's, it's that the gospel uh, was something that happened to me in my past. It's a historical event that I b- believed in, chose to believe in, God called me into, however we want to say it but it's something that happened to me in my past that, ha-ha, greatly benefits my future. <laughs> um, and it's not not that. It is historical, and it is something that that draws us back to a right relationship with God for eternity and this kind of stuff. But the the missing piece of the gospel, if it's just past and future, is that we miss that it actually impacts every moment in my present life as well. Um, and so that chapter kind of looks at Jesus's life and death and resurrection and his current reign um, and says, all of these are elements of the gospel. Um, all of these are elements of the good news. And without at all minimizing the past and future, it asks the question, how does God show up? How do we need Jesus to be the hero in my marriage relationship and my parenting and my singleness? Um, how does Jesus show up and uh, how do I reflect God's story in my relationships with coworkers um, and non-believing neighbors? Uh, what does it mean for my everyday thoughts, everyday motives, everyday action? And so, the gospel-centered view of the gospel is that it is a past, present, and future gospel, not just past and future.
2: Next topic: Don't ask God for forgiveness. What, what yeah. Do, what's the story here, Ben? <laughs>
3: So, this is the one that'll get me labeled as a heretic. So, um, I do believe, and the Bible is clear, uh, that coming to Jesus for the first time, when God enlivens his truth in our heart, uh, there is repentance. There is an asking of God for forgiveness. So, I want to be clear that is Christian orthodoxy. What we miss, though, um, is that there are zero times after Jesus' resurrection in the New Testament where folks who already believe that Jesus is their Savior are called to ask God for forgiveness. Um, what we see instead is an invitation to God when we realize ongoing sin in our lives. Again, for those of us who are believers, um, we're called to confess that sin. And and the beauty—and some, some church traditions play this out really beautifully. They have moments of confession, which is different than asking God for forgiveness. Right? Asking God for forgiveness is saying— will you forgive me? It seems like there's a future tense thing to it, a, a maybe. And and that leads, frankly, in my pastoral experience of 20 plus years, it leads to a lot of people like feeling really guilty and shameful and going, what if God doesn't forgive me? What if this one was too much for his forgiveness? But what we miss in that is that God's already forgiven us of every sin. Like, that's the truth of removing our sin as far as the East is from the West. And so for those of us who are already in Christ, we don't have to ask forgiveness for every single sin when we realize an ill thought or a broken motive or whatever action. Um, It's already been forgiven. And so again, what a lot of church traditions play out really beautifully is we get to confess our sin go, Oh God, I missed it again. But then the return from the confession is an act of assurance which is not saying God will forgive your sin, but assurance is calling us back and saying, no, He already has. And there's such, oh man, comfort and freedom and sighs of relief to go, oh, even though this one was quote unquote really bad, (laughs) um, I've already been forgiven. Um, So we don't have to look to the future and wonder, will God forgive? Instead, we get to look to the past because of Jesus' death and resurrection and praise God to go He already has forgiven every sin, I
2: want you to tell uh, talk to us about uh, the next uh, chapter it's called and, and this is in quotes the House of the Lord question mark
3: mm-hmm. uh, fill us in yeah yeah and, and and some of your listeners can probably resonate with this. You go into a church service and someone starts to strum the guitar or play the first notes on the organ or something, and they say, "Welcome into the house of the Lord um." And what that connotates is that there's one place for maybe one hour on a Sunday that that God resides. Um, And where that's birthed from is uh, an Old Testament picture of the tabernacle and the temple. Um, When God's people Israel built a tabernacle and took it with them in their 40 years of wandering based on God's instructions, he said, I will meet with you there. Um, when When God's people built the temple, he said, in the Holy of Holies, that's, that's my primary dwelling place on earth. And people could only go in, you know, the high priest could only go in one time a year. Most most people couldn't go in and meet with God at all. Um, but what we miss in that is perhaps another equally noted moment in the scriptures where at Jesus' death the 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 curtain that separated God's people from the Holy of Holies tore in two. God tore that in two. And so we say this a lot. All people now have access to God. Um, further, a few books later in the the New Testament, Paul tells us, for example, "Hey, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit." Where does where does God's primary presence reside on Earth today? It's not in one building anymore. the The temple curtain tore, and so God's presence was, you know, kind of proverbially released. It it came down in tongues on God's people at Pentecost and 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 while God has always had a presence on earth, he walked with Adam and Eve in Eden, he'll restore the earth one day and we'll be in perfect relationship. What we can miss when we think that the, quote, house of the Lord is just the church building, we can miss the fact that, no, God's presence exists in us and resides in us. We are his temple's. And if we get that, then it changes discipleship. It says discipleship doesn't just happen in the church building. Um, It changes mission and says we carry the image of God with us wherever we go. Um, It changes community and says we can go deep in our homes as much as we can uh, on the church pews and this kind of stuff. And it just revolutionizes our view of who God's people are and where God's presence resides. But again, since the whole theme of the book is calling back and seeing the impact of the gospel, um, we have to realize that that only takes place, that's only possible. God's Spirit can only dwell in us because of the thing that caused the temple curtain to rip, which was Jesus' death, and then his resurrection and his current reign. So the gospel is the key to being able to embrace God's presence wherever we are, whenever we are.
2: Ben Conley is our guest. Uh he's in Pasadena, California, although he's a Texan by trade. Reading the Bible is the name of his book, Missing the Gospel, recovering from shockingly common ways we get the Bible wrong in our everyday lives. Speaking of books, my latest book is out. It's called Who Coached the Coaches? I spent about seven years tracking down coaches all over the country, college, pro asking them one question, who was the key person in you becoming a coach? And then we, uh, we recorded exactly what they said in the book. So the book is made up of all these uh, responses as to who coached the coaches, who was the key person in you becoming a coach. I think you'll enjoy the book. Uh, we're back with Ben Conley. First, stay with us. That's the first thing. And then the <clears throat> Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour will continue. Right here on AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990
1: and FM 101.5, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word.
2: Now, here's Pat. Author Ben Conley is spending some time with us talking about his new book, Reading the Bible, Missing the Gospel. And Ben, we've arrived at uh, at this uh, topic. It's simply called blessed or blessed. Uh, expand on that, please.
3: Sure. Yeah. And there's a there's a hashtag. Yes. Blessed. Um, and that the the image of that chapter uh, stemmed from scrolling through Instagram one day, and or very you know pick your social media site, and we can see the same thing. But the picture wasn't loading. Uh, but the caption said, you know, something like, meet our new baby, hashtag blessed. And so I'm waiting to see, you know, a picture of, a ba- you know, brand new baby infant. Um, what I saw instead was a really nice sports car. <laughs> 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 and so meet our new baby was a really expensive sports car. Um, and, and the thought just happened across my mind, is that what being blessed really is? Um, is being blessed basically saying, oh, this makes me happy and kind of putting the God spin on it? So am I blessed if I have a really nice steak dinner or get a really great vacation or, you know, or, you know, a little bit more sobering? Am I blessed if I get in a car wreck and it's not bad? Um, you know, what is, what is being blessed is the question. And as with the theme of the book that we're walking through, reading the Bible, missing the gospel, if we go through the scriptures – what we see is that God defines being blessed in a very different way than what our common culture would say it means to be blessed. Um, And and the quickest way to summarize God's view of what it means to be blessed is to say that there's some favor or some provision or something that God does give us, and yet His goal and often even His command in giving the blessing is to use it for God's purposes and for the benefit of others. Um, and so Abram in Genesis 12, for example, God says, I'm going to bless you to be a blessing. Um, and that really is the right gospel view of why God gives his people anything, anything nice, any possessions or this kind of stuff. Any, anything on earth belongs to the Lord. And if he chooses to entrust it to us, it's to steward for his purposes And for the good of others, not just for our selfish desires. Um, And then again, since every chapter tries to go, okay, how, how does the gospel motivate this? How do we see the gospel, the life, death, resurrection, and reign of Jesus in this theme, you know, forgiveness theme, uh, blessed theme. We'll come to judgment here in a minute. Um, How, how does Jesus most model and motivate that view of blessing? It's to say, he gave literally everything um he who had all the riches of God the Father uh stewarded uh if i if I may use that uh and attribute it to 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 jesus um, stewarded everything he had and chose to benefit more people <laughs> than any of us could ever benefit uh, with the few things that that we have from God the Father and so being blessed is using what God gave us for God and others. And in Jesus's life, death, resurrection, and reign, he does that better than any of us ever will.
2: Who are you to judge me? That's the next topic.
3: It is. And that may be maybe one of the the biggest questions that Christians have asked each other, even maybe more so over the last couple of years, when all of culture seems divided, both within and outside the church. Um. And Matthew 7-1 is, is maybe the, the the common proof text to say, well, you can't judge me. Je- Jesus says, judge not lest you be judged. Um, but again, the claim of this chapter is saying that, no, actually, in Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and reign, uh, he not only frees us to judge people, he actually calls us to judge our fellow sisters and brothers. Um, and that can sound harsh, and it almost sounds... Heretical a little bit, um, especially if we're doing something we don't want to be judged for. <laughs> we really don't want people to, to judge us. And yet, just a couple of verses after that very famous "Judge not, lest you be judged" kind of mantra, um, Jesus says, "You know, take the, the the log, the plank out of your own eye." But then he says, "So that you can take the speck out of your brother's eye, out of your sister's eye." Um, And so what we can miss in that is to say, like, no, 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 Jesus frees us to judge. He just gives us the right standard to judge by. And we we first judge ourselves by that and say, hey, am I meeting God's perfect standard? The answer is obviously no. But when we realize that, it puts us in this humble posture so that we can then come alongside our sister and brother in their sin and say, hey, by that same standard, not my preference, but by God's standard. I, I noticed something in, in your life. Can I help you by taking the speck out of your own life? Um, all through 1 Corinthians, especially we see time after time again, where Paul says, tells Christians to judge one another, um, but it's judging them based on God's standard, who only Jesus, which only Jesus met in his perfect life. Um, and then the freedom that is offered in Jesus's death is to say, when both we and our neighbor, when both we who have a blink in our eye and our, our believing sister or brother who has a speck in their eye, when we do fail to meet God's standard, um, his death covers that. Because the beauty is that Jesus is going to judge the earth one day, and yet for everyone in him, um, we're covered by his righteousness. Uh, he took our judgment, and so he's both our judge and also our savior.
2: I want you to explain to us, heaven is not our forever home.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Um, The image of heaven and hell and eternity and these things are probably among the most confusing that Christians ponder. And as with other things, we can get so entrenched in our views and we can get so uh, even angry if other people disagree with us. And so this is not a, it's not a how Jesus is going to come back chapter. Um, so if, if folks are looking for that, there's other really good books on that out there, but that's not it. Um, it is however, a look at what happens after Jesus comes back. And the common image when people think of what happens after we die, um, is that we either go to heaven or hell. Um, and there is some image, there is a, a lot, frankly, of, of references in the Bible to going to be with God or being separated from God after we die, but before Jesus comes back. So so there is heaven and hell, and yet heaven and hell, to kind of go back to the the medical imagery, the ophthalmologist imagery, um, it's a little bit like a waiting room, um, and, and we don't exactly know what it's like, what our experience is like, except that those who are with Uh, those who are in Christ are are with God somehow um, in heaven. But what the scriptures show and teach, and again, through a lot of imagery, um, is that our eternity is not going to be spent like getting away from this broken earth. And yet, and this is straight out out of Revelation, what we see instead is um, a new heavens and a renewed earth. Um, And so God is essentially doing the same things that he does in our hearts, rather than just demolishing us for our sin. He, he wants to redeem. He wants to restore us to a right relationship with Him. God's doing the same thing with the, the originally perfect earth that we see only for the first couple pages of our Bible. Um, it's been broken for as long as we can remember and know since Genesis 3, but, but the promise of, of eternity is that God is going to restore the earth to its originally perfect state. And once again, humans are gonna to get to walk with him like Adam and Eve did. And it's here on earth that sin will be no more, and there'll be no tears and no more pain and this kind of stuff. Um and so what that does is just shifts our view of where where we're gonna be forever. Um it, it adds a little bit of hopefulness to even the physical world around us to say, if I may be so crass, like we're not gonna get the hell out of here one day. It's that hell is gonna be gone from the earth. (laughs) Um, And we're gonna get to truly experience the kingdom of God in full on earth as it is in heaven. And that last part then leads us to go, how can we as followers of Jesus give glimpses and foreshadows by our lives and our words? How can we display a little foretaste of that coming kingdom that'll one day be here on earth, how can we display it in in little moments as we seek restoration, as we seek redemption, as we show kindness, as we share the gospel um, in the already-not-yet kingdom that exists on earth today?
2: Folks, our guest has been Ben Conley, author of Reading the Bible, Missing the Gospel, Recovering from Ways We Get the Bible Wrong in Our Everyday Lives. Uh, We've got more after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Stay with us here on AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment.
1: AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power
2: Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Now, here's Pat. Ben Conley, our guest in that first segment, uh, talking about his book, "Reading the Bible, Missing the Gospel." Uh, ben was in Pasadena, California. We jump from Pasadena, Pasadena to the um, lovely state of Wyoming. Allison Cook is there. Her book is "The Best of You: Break Free from Painful Patterns, Mend Your Past, Discover Your True Self in God." Allison, welcome to Orlando. I hope you're well.
0: Oh, it sounds like a wonderful place to be right now. I'm doing well. Thanks, Pat.
2: Tell me about your book.
0: Well, it's a it's really therapy in a book is what I'd say, biblically based therapy in a book. I wrote it just out of my practice of working with folks for two decades now, just wanting to walk them through this process. I believe God is calling all of us to this process of healing the, the self, healing our own soul, just as we want to be vessels of healing for others.
2: Uh, you open, there, there are three part four parts to your book. The first one is Uncover the Hidden You, and the first topic you write about is, it's a question. What do you want? A brave new direction. Uh, tell us more.
0: Yeah, and my work with, with people, what I've noticed is, especially women, but really everybody, you know, I think it applies to everybody, is that when faced with this question, and Jesus asked this question, what do you want? right? It gets, it cuts to the soul, cuts to the heart of us. What do you want? That so often we're sort of like deer in the headlights. We spin around, we don't know what we want. We don't consider this question. We don't consider what we need in a given moment when we're overwhelmed, when we're frustrated, when we're confused in how to proceed in a relationship that's gone sideways. We don't know. And so we kind of look, we spin around, we look to everybody around us. We start to play sort of, you know, the the magic eight ball. We pick up and just sort of, you know, hope for an answer, hope to get lucky instead of really getting down to the core of what it is we long for out of a situation, out of our relationships, And, and understanding that those desires that God has given us are cues to the direction we need to take in partnership with God's Spirit.
2: Uh, let's move to uh, the next topic. Another question: How did I get here? The cocktail of codependency. I want to hear about this.
0: Yeah. Well, what I'm so again because we we get out of touch with the needs, with the desires, even with the talents, with some of the convictions of ourselves, of the best part of who we are, hence the title of the best the best of you, the, the God-made part of who we are, we get out of touch with those, we end up in this sort of codependency. And what that means is we start to betray our own God-given selves in favor of either pleasing other people, overly relying on the opinions of other people, letting other people do our work for us, make decisions for us, or we've turned other people into projects that are convenient distractions. I'll just hide myself in your problems. And this is a what we call codependency. In the cocktail, the reason we do this, there's three reasons, three Cs. This is a result of our childhood wounds. Nobody ever taught us how to honor our own selves in a healthy way, how to care for ourselves. So we end up deferring or betraying or bypassing ourselves for the needs of others. The second one is sometimes misconstrued church messages, Pat. We hear these messages from the pulpit that are good messages, but they get misconstrued, such as you should die to yourself. You should only ever think about other people. When the truth is, Jesus said, love others as yourself. He, he included both of those relationships in that second commandment. And then third, just culturally, Often we're conditioned, um, by, you know, Instagram, by social media, but, you know, we're conditioned to sort of look to other people, to groupthink to not think about or consider our own convictions, our own desires, our own God given needs.
2: Next topic for you, our guest, <clears throat> by the way, Alison Cook, uh, her book is called the best of you. How do I find my way out? observing painful patterns
0: yeah this so now we're moving into the process of healing which is the first step toward change the first step toward growth or toward healing is to start paying attention to your own habits It's start to observe kind of become your own detective your own observer why am i doing that what 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 is the reason i continue to say yes to that person who continually hurts me or takes advantage of me? Why do I continue to beat myself up and, and hurt myself or, or not care for myself, but I'm bending myself into contortions to do things for this other person who's not honoring me, who's not showing me, you know, the kind of care that, that the two way care that every relationship needs. And so to, to start to notice those things can be painful at first. These are some of the ways that I've learned to hide, that I've learned to make myself small, that I've learned to bypass myself. I have to start to notice that I'm doing that in order to change that behavior.
2: Now, we move on to uh, part two, discover the best of you. In the first topic, what am I really like? Seeing yourself as God does, uh, fill us in.
0: Exactly. And so, so, again, we're kind of walking step by step through this journey of the first step is, I think I need to change. I, I'm i engaging in patterns of relating to others that aren't healthy for me. So I've got to start noticing that in myself. And then how does God see me? Because we believe in our heads and our minds that God loves us. But oftentimes we don't really believe that at the core of our being. We don't believe that God actually wants to heal and, and find and discover and reclaim every part of who you are. And in fact, He might pry us out of, off of some of those relationships, some of those ways of pleasing, producing, performing for others in order to turn that mirror onto our own souls and shine His light into the innermost regions of who we are. And so we have to start. And sometimes that's uncomfortable to let God shine his light into our the corner of our soul and show us his love. You know, it's like, whoa, that's weird. I I've kind of just buried those parts of me. But but it's also, again, this way toward, you know, God is never shaming. Sometimes it hurts. It's like, oh, I don't know if I want to see that God, but God is never shaming. He brings His healing light into the innermost parts of us.
2: Now, I want you to expand further. How do I find my voice? Learning to trust yourself.
0: Yeah, so many of us have been taught that we can't trust ourselves. And oftentimes this is based on the scripture that says, you know, in Jeremiah, the heart is deceitful and wicked. And certainly we are not, we are infallible. We are not trustworthy in the same way that God is trustworthy. But from a psychological perspective, if you don't have some trust in the cues your body, your heart, your soul send you, you have no choice but to blindly trust other people. And other people are also fallible. Nobody is ultimately trustworthy. And so when I think of that scripture of Jeremiah, that the fact is that Jeremiah is the same prophet. He said that, then he A few chapters later in Jeremiah, what he says is he he prophesies the coming of the Holy Spirit, who will shift the way that we relate to ourselves, because the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us in John 14. And when the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us, Jeremiah says he turns a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. And so suddenly we have access to the Spirit of God inside of us, which means in partnership with God's Spirit, we can start to live from that place inside of us. We can start to trust that with the help of God's spirit, we can navigate this world around us. We have wisdom. We have discernment coming from inside of us. And some of that comes from the cues our body sends us when our, uh, something inside of us says that, that doesn't feel safe, that doesn't feel right, that person isn't treating me right. We can start to trust those cues. Those are God-given messages. Like we need to pay attention to those things maybe that anxiety we feel or that anger we feel or that frustration we feel is a cue that we need to pay attention that somebody isn't treating us right
2: my guest <clears throat> and she's there in beautiful wyoming alison cook the book the best of you and uh here comes uh, topic six but won't they be mad The the secret to setting boundaries.
0: Exactly. And so many people want to learn how to set boundaries. And that's why in in my work of healing, I put it all the way at, at number six, because it flows from this work we've done on the inside to heal and to start seeing ourselves as God does, as worthy. We don't have to, we no longer have to betray ourselves to even harm ourselves or do injury to ourselves. While trying to please someone else, that's not what God means when He says to love others. Again, Jesus said to love others as yourself, which means we do get to um, expect some a certain level of health of respect from other people. We don't have to put ourselves in harm's way. So, this is where boundaries come in. As we learn, oh my gosh, I can't let that person treat me that way anymore. We start to establish healthier boundaries, and in the in this chapter, what I delineate is sometimes we use words. We let people know, I can no longer let you harm me in this way. Therefore, I have to remove myself. Sometimes we use actions, Pat. We don't always have to have a conversation about things. Sometimes we simply let our actions do our talking for us. And we see a lot of examples of healthy boundaries in the life of Jesus.
2: Let's move on. We're now into part three, Allison express the best of you, and your first topic here, what if my parents drive me crazy healing childhood wounds? I want to hear about this.
0: Yeah, so in this last section, we go deeper into some of why this work is hard and how to heal specific areas. And so many of us, even in healthy families, um, even the healthiest of parents all have blind spots. We're all human. And so we pick up these messages, from our childhood, sometimes it's what we call little t traumas, which means tiny wounds, but they're still wounds and they still fester like a hangnail. You know, it still hurts or it still causes us to behave in ways that aren't healthy for us. To big t traumas, these are big wounds where we were hurt by our parents. Maybe we were abused. Maybe we were shamed. Maybe we were constantly criticized. I go through six painful parenting patterns where maybe you were ignored, neglected. You know, there's all sorts of ways that as a result of this, you pick up messages as a child. As children, we can't understand that. What does that mean? We tend to blame ourselves. I must not be lovable because my parents didn't love me. I must be worthy of mistreatment because my parents mistreated me. Right. We take those messages into our adult Relationships. So sometimes we got to go all the way back to the root and dig up some of those wounds, some of those hurts that occurred all the way back when we were young, where we picked up these faulty beliefs about ourselves so we can heal those beliefs and then heal the way we show up in other people's with other people in our adult lives.
2: Allison Cook is our guest. We're talking about her book, The Best of You. Allison, explain this topic. The next one: How do I find friends who get me? Mm -hmm. Creating authentic connection.
0: Yeah, and so then we move into, you know, this idea of I, I know a lot of people, but I still feel alone. Why, you know, don't I feel seen? Why don't I feel heard? Why don't I feel like people have my back? And oftentimes, sometimes it's because well, we've we're in these painful patterns of relating. We're not showing up as ourselves. We haven't learned to ask for what we need. We haven't learned to show who we really are. We're wearing masks. Sometimes we're with the wrong people. Sometimes we have to learn how to show up differently. So I walk you through uh, seven red flags of friendship where maybe we are with people who, who aren't giving us the kind of care the kind of give and take in a relationship that we all need, where we we have two-way relationships. I want to honor you and I want to help meet your needs. And I also need you to come in and meet my needs and and see me where in my areas of pain, right? That's the goal, because we need each other. So I walk you through seven areas where of red flags where maybe somebody is taking advantage of you or exploiting you or maybe somebody has narcissistic tendencies. And then I walk you through seven ways to heal, seven ways to move toward health in relationships. It's not perfection. We're not seeking perfection in others. What we're seeking for is humility, where two people can come together and be humble before each other and honor each other and, and mutually, you know, and say, man, I missed this one. I'm so sorry. And offer mutual grace to each other. And then I also walk you through a process, if you've been hurt by friendships, of how to rebuild trust you know once we've been hurt it's really tempting to just hide from people we don't want to put ourselves out there and so and that's that's not all always unwise we want to carefully learn to discern where there is trust if someone is trustworthy we don't want to as jesus said throw our pearls before swine
2: allison cook is our guest we have another segment with allison talking about her book the best of you This is the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Back with Allison Cook right after these messages.
1: More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word.
2: Now, here's Pat. Uh, Allison Cook is with us. Uh, The best of you. That's the name of her book. Uh, Allison, can I get someone to change? Uh, mm-hmm. Drawing new boundaries in old relationships.
0: Yeah, one of the things that I notice in sort of our culture today is where pe- people can be quick. Too, they can either swing to one of two extremes. One, stay in a relationship too long that's grown toxic or just cut out relationships too quickly. When a lot of times a relationship, if you've got two people who are doing their own work, trying to work toward health, that's the baseline expectation, that we can negotiate new boundary lines. And so I walk, there's a process, there are ways to do that. And this is hard work. This is delicate work and sort of like doing surgery. You want to wait in carefully. There's never any room for criticism or shame. When we're trying to rebuild or renegotiate healthier boundary lines with someone, we have to be so careful to speak from these what we call I statements, here's what I need versus here's all the things you're doing wrong. (laughs) You know, there's some tricks that will help in that process of respectfully negotiating new boundary lines with someone where we're Stepping up a little bit more, we're stating more clearly what we need from the relationship, but we're trying to do that in a really honest, integrity-filled way so as not to alienate the other person. There's a lot of research-backed tips in this chapter to help people. There's scripts and literally like fill-in-the-blank sections to help people have those hard conversations in their existing relationships.
2: Uh... Explain to us now, uh, chapter 10, why doesn't God just fix everything, healing your relationship with God?
0: Yeah, so so many times, I think when people have been hurt, they've been stuck in painful patterns. They've um, felt like they've sidelined themselves for so long. They'll start to doubt God and start to even get angry with God, and this, uh, the other thing that I see happen is people get hurt by church communities, faith communities, or they get hurt by others in the name of faith, and where other people misuse the Bible or misuse the name of God and this always breaks my heart because this misuse of the name of God impacts somebody's relationship with God and so what i what I teach people is to disentangle the toxic messages or the toxicity from the God who is a God of love. And how do we know the fruit of the real God, who God really is? Well, Galatians teaches us that the fruit of God's spirit, that the evidence, the signs of God's spirit are, are love, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, and self-control. Faithfulness is another one. humility. These are the evidence, these are the signs of the fruit of God's spirit. and so if you've been in a relationship with somebody or in a church community where you are coming constantly coming up against shame, criticism, hatred, demeaning behavior, abuse, um, manipulation, this is not of God. this is not of God. So we have to separate out those toxic behaviors from the real God who is for you, who is a God of healing who wants to bring healing goodness into your heart, soul, and mind.
2: Uh, Now, Allison, you do, in part four, which is called Live the Best of You, and here's the main topic. How will I know I've arrived? Envisioning the best of you.
0: Yeah, so what, what I'm trying to, what I want to leave you all with is this, um, this vision, this imagine who you could be five years from now, 10 years from now. Imagine the best version of yourself, the, the person that God wants you to become. Because so often when we're stuck in a pit, when we're stuck in a painful relationship pattern, we're in the weeds of it. We just keep slogging along and we, we, we can't, we lose sight of this beautiful person God wants us to become. Now, we'll become that person one day in eternity in heaven, but we're on the journey now, and we don't want to lose sight of the, the goodness, of the beauty, of, again, thinking back to the Spirit of the Spirit, of the kind of kindness, the loving, the, the beautiful, shining person that we can become as we let God in, as we invite God into healing every part of our soul. And so we want to hold a vision of that person. Who would you become? You know, as you're listening today, who, would, who do you wish to become? What kind of parent do you wish to become? What kind of spouse? What kind of friend? What kind of human do you wish to become if you were filled with the love and freedom of Christ? And imagine that. And that's what we want to move toward in this journey. We want to be kind toward, toward ourselves and patient toward ourselves. We don't shame ourselves into that vision of who God wants us to become. Kindness leads us. You know, the Bible says God's kindness leads us to repentance. It's also what leads us to healing. It's God's compassion and kindness that leads us to that person that he wants us to become.
2: My guest is Allison Cook, author of The Best of You, Break Free from Painful Patterns, Mend Your Past, Discover Your True Self in God. So, Allison, what do you want to listeners to take from this conversation? What do you want them to take from your book?
0: That you, uh, God came to heal. God is a God of healing, and that you are someone who might need God's healing. And whether you know God and love God already, but, but haven't really thought about your faith in the terms of the healing work that God has yet to do in you. Or whether you're somebody who's not sure about God and maybe, like I said, maybe you felt disappointed in God or hurt by God, to give God a chance that, that God ha- wants to. God, we know that Jesus cares about every hair on your head. He also cares about every part of your soul, about every wound, about every area in your life that's gone sideways, that's been hurt, about these painful relationships you found yourself in God is a God of healing and that you would invite God into those, even those hard areas, those hard areas that you want to hide to, to bring those into the light. Even if it, if it, if it feels uncomfortable, because God wants to heal every part of who you are and every part of the relationships that you have.
2: Allison Cook uh, is our guest. Allison, explain your background that brought this book about. Is there something that happened in your life uh, that allowed you to be so comfortable sharing all this?
0: Yeah, it's been a journey for me, Pat. I, um, I was a, a Bible-believing Christian you know, since a you know, very young child, knew a lot about God, knew a lot about loving others. But well into adulthood realized I knew not one thing about caring for my own heart soul in mind. And so really had sort of a, almost a, you know, my early thirties, a little bit of a breakdown, almost through my doctoral program uh, was so busy caring for everybody around me and neglecting my own soul that I had to change. And I had to learn how to bring this relationship with myself into my spiritual practice, that it wasn't just about caring for others. It was also about learning to honor and steward the the parts of my own soul that God wanted to mend. And so that was very much out of my own journey, went on to be a therapist and helped others in this work. And then more recently, I've had a few really hard things. I had some a stroke. I talk about it in the book, out of nowhere, out of the blue, you know, no known health conditions. Um, and again, had to surrender to this process of letting God, inviting God into these fears of of, you know, that we all face that bad things can happen, hard things can come our way. But what we do have, what I know for certain in every fiber of my being, what we do have 100% guaranteed to us is the, the power of God's kindness, of his love, of his goodness toward us through whatever it is that we are facing.
2: Allison Cook has been our guest. Allison, it's wonderful, wonderful to chat with you. And, uh, I, and, and I don't think chat's the right word. I think we've had a pretty serious discussion actually. And, um, yeah, thank you for, uh, for writing the book. It's a, it's, it's, it's valuable.
0: I so appreciate that. Thank you so much for having me on to talk about it, Pat. I really appreciate you, you know, just having this conversation with me. It is so important. It affects every single one of us. And I so appreciate the time.
2: Alison Cook, Alison with one L by the way, um, Uh, We've got a wrap-up right after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. And, of course, you're tuned to AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. We'll be right back with a wrap.
1: More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word.
2: Now... Here's Pat. Folks, thanks so much for joining us here uh, for the uh, Saturday Power Hour. Uh, Ben Conley, our guest in that first segment, talking about his book, Reading the Bible, Missing the Gospel. And then Allison Cook uh, talked about her book, The Best of You, two two very interesting guests. Uh, Folks, we're still working hard trying to bring Major League Baseball to Orlando, and you can be a, a huge help. Uh, go, go up to that website, orlandodreamers.com, orlandodreamers.com, and just check in with us and, uh, and, and just tell us what your thoughts are. You want to be part of this? Think it's a good idea for Orlando? Uh, be interested in season tickets if, if we can make this happen? Uh, that'll be wonderful, folks. Thanks so much. Um, and so uh, we'll see you next weekend. Uh, here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. Stay tuned all day long, and you'll be better for it. See you next weekend. God bless. Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of the Pat Williams Power Hour. Join
1: us again next week at this time, where faith comes by hearing. AM 990
0: and FM 101.5, The Word.